Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Good morning. Good to see all of you after a a good holiday week, I hope, for you. Nothing like being introduced as the old guy. (laughs) Appreciate it. Good start. Actually, Stephen doesn't, doesn't probably remember this, but one of, the, one of the things that I was told about myself one time was I was walking down the hallway here at church. Stephen was talking to somebody else and grabbed me by the arm as I went by and said, hey, you need to meet David McPherson. He's one of the coolest old guys you're ever going to meet. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. It's been a good week. I've had a two-year-old and a four-year-old grandchild at my house for the last week. I'm exhausted, but here I am. I'm glad to see you. (laughs) Do you realize we're two-thirds of the way through what we call the holiday season? We started off with that sugar rush from all the extra Halloween candy that we had. Thanksgiving food coma for some of us. Black Friday getting up at 5 o'clock to go to Best Buy. How many of you actually did that? How many of you woke up early to do something online for Black Friday? You guys are good. (laughs) Now we're in the home stretch. Cyber Monday tomorrow. And then, of course, Christmas. I mean, yeah, Christmas is a big deal like we're talking about with, with with the Advent. But, you know, sometimes our biggest practical dilemma is what does that special person need that we can give them, especially something they don't think or realize that they need. When our three kids were teenagers and they were in the throes of puberty, One of the things that we knew that they needed, but they didn't realize it, a package of deodorant in their stocking. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about what what may seem like at first to be like an odd gift that I was given, something I didn't know that I needed. And it actually fits with where we've been the last couple of months in this series, Rest for the Weary, where our focus has been on 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 17. It simply says this, rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And those things have been important elements, the rejoicing, the praying, the giving thanks. They've been important elements in this journey to experience God's rest. But here's a question. What happens when we, when we do those things, when we rejoice? And when we're praying as best we know how? And we're given thanks no matter what. And yet the circumstances don't improve like we thought they would. That was when God gave me a gift that I needed. I didn't know that I needed it. And actually I didn't want it. But it was still a gift anyway. And here's what I mean by that. Twelve years ago, as I was preparing to have minor surgery to repair a herniated disc in my neck, I went through what was was supposed to be a routine cardiac check. The next day after the cardiac check, I sat across the desk from the cardiologist and I heard these words, you're going to have to have major open heart surgery. Turns out I had a heart valve that was literally disintegrating and needed either repair or replacement. So four months after my next surgery, I, I had the surgery to repair my heart valve. And that's when the cascade of complications began. The opposite side of my heart, I was operated on this side of my heart, but the opposite side developed what was called third-degree heart block. 
So it required a pacemaker to be implanted in my chest. Multiple surgeries after that on my heart and chest over the next couple of, couple of years to address some other complications. But the most significant side effect was a rare comp condition that caused me to collapse unexpectedly without warning. Full body pain, exhaustion, couldn't hardly make it. Someone had to sometimes, Melanie had to sometimes help me be able to walk to the bed or the couch so I could collapse for the next 8 to 12 hours. I ended up going to Mayo Clinic so they could try and figure out what was happening to me. I had an auto autonomic neurologist <clears throat> that headed up a team of about a dozen specialists and they finally concluded that I was one of only nine people in the United States, United States they'd ever seen that had this condition. There's no name for it. There's no cure for it. There's no solution. It's something I was told I just had to live with. There was nothing I could do about it. And that brings me to the question I want to ask you today. What do you do when there's nothing else you can do? When there's no way forward, there's no way out, maybe a relationship that's deteriorated, a marriage that's not thriving, or when you realize you're not going to be where you thought you would be financially in life. Or you're single and you're sick and you're, you're sick and tired of being single and you're trying to, you've tried being unsingle. That just made life more complicated and so you're single again and you just, you just think, I can't deal with this anymore. You're miserable without him, but when you were with him, things in your life were really bad. You're miserable without her. And you want her back so badly, but you know that she's going to throw you way outside of what God has for you. Things aren't good at home, and every day you drive home, you don't know who you're going to be driving home to, and you're not going to know what they're like when they walk in the door that day. And you think, God, I can't keep doing this. Maybe like me, your health isn't good, and the doctors kind of shrug and go, you're not going to die. But all we can do is maintain. What do you do? Your career's not under your control. There are other people who control it for you, and it drives you crazy. There's times that anxiety is just more than you can bear, and you're tempted to do something un unethical. You're tempted to do something you know you'll regret because you've exhausted all the options, and you just think, I got nothing else left. Sometimes we think if God is who he's supposed to be, you know, he really could have done something about this, right? I mean, everybody else's life seems wrinkle-free. Why couldn't he make mine wrinkle-free? And he doesn't. There's something important to remember here in all of this, though, and that's this. Adversity does not equate to God's absence. Adversity does not equate to God's apathy. Sometimes, quite frankly, that's just the way life is. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You might as well get used to the idea. You're going to have heartache. You're going to have pain. You're going to have things in your life where you just say, I don't get it. And that's our reality. And God sees our reality that we live in a world that is broken by sin. And that's part of the deal right now. God sees that and he knows what he can do with it. You know, the Bible's full of those kind of scenarios, whether we realize it or not. King David, back in the Old Testament... He wanted to build the temple for God. He, wanted to do, he thought this would be the greatest thing he could ever do with his life. God said, no. No, you're not going to get to do that. That's going to be for your son Solomon. 
John the baptizer. Jesus' own cousin. The guy that had baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit coming down on him like a dove finds himself in a dark, dank, moldy prison because he had criticized King Herod's morals. So he sends word to Jesus with his butt from, through his buddies. And he says, I want you to ask Jesus the question. Something I already thought I knew, but I want to know again. And ask him and say, are you the one? Are you really him? In other words, if you really are, Jesus, if you are who you say you are and who I know, have, I've known you to be, can't you get me out of this? Jesus' reply is pretty interesting. He says, first of all, he says, tell John the blind see and the lame walk. In other words, yeah, I'm the one. But then he also adds something else to tell John. He says, tell John this, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, John, no. You're just going to stay where you are. I'm not going to get you out of there. Your faithfulness is what matters more than what you want. The Apostle Paul experienced mysterious pain over a long period of time. We don't know what it was, but we know he had described it like it was a thorn in the flesh. And he asked over and over and over several seasons in his life. And he came to the realization that God was saying no. Add to that the fact that Paul wrote several letters that we've got in the New Testament, but he wrote them while he was chained in prison. This was not a, a little thing where he goes to his desk with a little lamp and, and writes pretty things. He's living in a tough scenario. And yet none of those things, he, in addition to that, he also endured shipwrecks and beatings and abandonment and all of those things. And yet it never caused him to lose confidence that God was with him. And he had no idea what God was going to do with his decision to remain faithful. And see, you and I have no idea what God's going to do when we choose to make that commitment to remain faithful, no matter what. Even when everything else feels, feels like you know, life's going to hell in a handbasket. That's when the pain of adversity becomes God's gift that we didn't know that we needed. Peter Scazzaro, who wrote several books that I've, I've walked through, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships, says this, he says, God sometimes gives us treasures of darkness and reveals the hidden wealth of secret places. The limits and the wounds that we carry are often the arena in which God demonstrates his power and gives us his gifts in disguise. It is precisely in these difficult places that God longs to teach us, to provide for us, and to reveal himself to us. See, a lot of times in the middle of difficult circumstances, that's when God can do his most amazing work in us and through us. That's when God says, when you get to that point, now I can use you. Now I can work in you. Now I can work through you. Because when you admit you've got nothing left, God says, I've got everything left. And you can be content in that. And that gets us to what Paul wrote in one of those prison letters while he was under house arrest in Rome. He's of the mindset that this is the beginning of the end of his life. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content 
in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment. He says it's secret, not in the sense that not everybody gets to access it. What he's saying is, not not everybody gets it. Not everybody grasps that. And he says, I got it. I figured it out. There's not a class on something like that, by the way, because Paul says, I have learned. In other words, it takes time. Sometimes it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes months. A lot of times it takes years or even decades. It takes time to accumulate contentment. And this idea to be content, it means being okay on the inside even when everything's not okay on the outside. Even though things around me are uncertain, I'm not really trying to change it out of my own ability or power. I'm not hoping for something different. I'm not trying to run away from it. It doesn't mean I have to like it. It just means I have to learn to be okay with it and accept it for what it is. This isn't up on the screen, but this is really important. Sometimes responding to Jesus' invitation to give us his rest means resting in the reality that God's got it anyway. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes responding to Jesus' invitation to give us his rest, when he says, come to me and I'll give you rest, means resting in the reality that God's got it anyway. So you can imagine when Paul's readers are reading something like this for the first time and they're leaning in and going, okay, Paul, so what's the secret? How do we survive the kind of stuff like what you've experienced? How do, you, how do you be content with all of that stuff? And then he tells us in what is probably the second most famous verse in the New Testament, next to John 3.16. Sometimes people pull it out of context and they apply it to all kinds of stuff and all kinds of situations, even though the context that Paul writes this comes from a life that's experienced prison and abandonment and shipwreck and beatings and all of those awful, terrible things. Here's what he says. I can do all that. I can do all those things. I can endure all of those things through him who gives me strength. And some of your Bibles may say through Christ who gives me strength. Because sometimes we, we needed the reminder that who he's talking about is that I do this through Christ. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. I can be in a great situation. I can be in an awful one. I can survive this. I can maintain my commitment through Christ who gives me his strength. Sometimes folks twist it around where they're really saying, I can do whatever I want to, everything I try to, everything I put my mind to. I can do all of that because Christ gives me strength to do what I want. No. No, you can't. You have to do what Christ wants to do in and through you. And quite frankly, that's how you rejoice always. That's how you pray continually anyway. That's how you can be thankful in every and all circumstances. You do that through Christ who puts his life in you, who puts his power in you, who puts his endurance in you, who puts his spirit in you. Christ in you. This is where you discover you can endure it because you have to say, God, I can't, but you can. And that's an important step to get to. 
Because in that moment when we say that, we're saying that we're empty, we have nothing left. Jesus comes along and says, you've got nothing left, I've got everything left. And I'm going to give you my strength, I'm going to give you my power, I'm going to give you my presence, I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm going to fill up all of those empty spots in your life. And the reason that we know that is because Jesus dragged his own cross up a hill and he died for my sins and for yours. And three days after he came back to life and was resurrected, he went and spent some time with his crew for a number of days before he went back up into heaven. And one of the things he tells them is this, guess what, guys? When I leave in just a few days, you're going to get a gift. You're going to get my presence. You're going to get my essence. You're going to get my Holy Spirit who will live in you. And we hear that sometimes and we go, how does that really work? Christ in you. See, here's the deal. When you and I step across that line and commit ourselves to follow Jesus and to obey him in this life and on into the, light, into the next life after that, in that very instant, something very unique happens. The very essence of God, the very presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit comes and sets up residence and lives inside our lives. Quite frankly, that's one of the mysteries of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that Christ is in me. And if we're honest, we can only understand it to a point. It is a mystery, but it is a mystery that creates our reality that we can have contentment through overwhelming circumstances because our Savior's presence is with us, is in us, lives in our lives, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our souls. You can rest in Him as you become aware that God is more interested in developing your character than giving you comfort. That's hard, no doubt. But that's how we learn to be joyful. That's how we learn to pray continually. That's how we learn to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. And for every one of us, that's going to show up and look and feel differently. Because the reality is, what I've learned over the years is, we've all got stuff. Back to my story of God's unusual gift that I told you about at the beginning. Although doctors figured out, helped me figure out how to reduce the frequency of those episodes of collapse and pain, they never really stopped. So over the next eight years, I learned to ask for help, which was not my normal bent. I learned to develop a little bit more character that had humility, empathy, deeper faith I had to come to a place in my life where I had to say to God I can't only you can get me through this only you can give me that gift of a deeper trust of relationship with Jesus and in the process I was learning to be content didn't like it but I had to learn to be okay with it and then in October 2017 I took a mission trip to Cuba it was a conference for Cuban pastors, and I was part of the team that was going to lead that conference. I'd actually had one of those collapsing, painful episodes just, right, just the week before I left for the trip. So I was hoping that that would last me until I got back home. By the way, I told no one on the team about my condition ahead of time. 
when they found out later what it was, my team leader was like, seriously? Taking, I'm taking you out, out of the country, and this is what you do? I actually preached on the second night of the conference, and I included that story that I've been telling you about my health as part of what I was challenging the guys to live. The next day, I taught several classes consecutively, and the, the subject of the class was developing a deeper prayer life. After one of the classes, this really big, tall Cuban man comes walking up to me. And the reason I say that is because most Cubans are not big, tall, big people. And he comes up to me and through my translator says he wants to pray. And I'm thinking, okay, we're going to practice. And I said, all right, go for it. So they gather up around me and he puts this big baseball glove type hand, size hand on my head. And starts going to town. Town with Jesus. Sorry. This guy has nothing. And he's imploring the king of the heavens of the universe to heal me. In tears, when he was done, I thanked him. Now, my reality was I felt no different. I didn't feel any kind of a rush in my spirit. And I wondered if anything changed. And I waited several weeks. <laughs> no collapses. <laughs> I told Melanie... After a couple months, no collapses. Finally, we realized God had given me the gift to it. The gift of healing. I haven't had one since. Now, in case you're thinking this is still ultimately about everything turning out rosy. If you do all the right steps, if you get the formula right, it'll all turn out in the, okay in the end and you'll get what you want, hope for. See, I've got a new chapter. Another opportunity for me to learn the secret of contentment. The gift. I've been diagnosed with another fairly serious medical issue that I'm wrestling with in my life. Do I pray God, pray God will still heal me? You bet I do. Sorry. I still have my moments, if I'm honest. But whether God chooses to heal me in this life or when I enter that rest in heaven, I'm learning in new and fresh ways that I can't do this on my own. I have to keep coming back to the, I can't, but you can, God. You can get me through this. You can help me endure. You can cause me to have the strength I can't work up all by myself. I can't. But you can, and I will learn to be content in that. We've been talking about rest for the weary for the past couple of months. Nothing like cold season to be 
part of what you're trying to deal with as you talk. <laughs> Sorry about that. We've been talking about rest for the weary for the past couple of months in this series. And I thought that closing out this series, it might be helpful to give you an opportunity just for a moment to do that. So I want you to take a moment, take everything that's in your hands and set it aside, if you will. Put your hands on your knees, palm down, and close your eyes. Just be still. What is it that's really tough? What's not moving? What's not changing? What's not getting any better? What is it that you have, have absolutely no control over? And there's nothing you can do about it. As Stephen plays and sings while I talk, listen to the words. As you hear those words, I want you to visualize it's just you and Jesus and nobody else. And he's come and taken the seat facing you. And that thing that doesn't change, that thing that you can do nothing about, you take that and you just simply place it in his hands. And you tell him in your own heart and mind, you tell him, Jesus, I can't. But you can. I can only survive this. I can only endure this. Even grow from this. I can only do that as a gift through you, Jesus, because your spirit is in me. Maybe you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. And this is one of those moments where there's something on the inside of you saying, this is what I need to make it. That's where you simply say, Jesus, I recognize you are my forgiver. So I give you my life. Lead me from now on, from this moment on. And when you do that, that mystery of Christ in you has just happened. And you say to him, I can't, but you can, because your spirit is in me. And then picture yourself leaning back into the loving arms of a beautiful father. Breathe deep and know that he's good.
is good He's a love like no other Just sing that again And I will lean back In the loving arms Of a beautiful father just close your eyes and just say that prayer to the Lord that Lord I I mean this can apply to so many things but Lord I can't but you can God I can't but you can Father we pray that today knowing that Lord there are so many things that try and steal contentment that try and steal our joy that try and take over our life. But Father, when you're with us, we can do anything. We can do all things. We can go through all things. 
Christ. And so this, today, as we close, if there's anything, just keep your heads bowed. If there's anything that you need the Lord to do in your heart today, I just want to pray that this moment that would, that would come to your mind and that you would have the courage to step forward when we leave, maybe to talk to someone. But Father, I pray for any person in here that needs to surrender their life to you, for someone that needs to just recommit their life to you, someone needs to just uh, come forward and say, Lord, I, maybe ask someone here to say, I just need prayer. Lord, I just pray you give courage to any person in here that, Father, they would no longer try to keep doing it on their own, they no longer procrastinate, they no longer wait it out, no longer think it's going to get better without coming to you. So, Father, just like your word says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and they will find rest. I pray today that we will come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.